You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to John chapter 11. I want to just kind of pick up where Pastor Tony left off two weeks ago as he taught on the story from John 11 of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. Um, he shared from this story, which is the, you know, the longest account of any of Jesus' miracles. There's so much detail packed into John 11 as Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But you see so much about the heart of God, the purposes of God uh, in this story. But there's been one phrase that Jesus said that has just continued to resonate with me. It's been on my heart for a couple of months, but since Tony went there a couple of weeks ago, I was like, I'm gonna let the people have it now. Um, John 11, verse 40, he repeats a concept, a principle that he had touched on just verses earlier as he turns to Martha, who's kind of questioning him. Hey, Lazarus has been in there for a long time. Uh, Four days, he's probably gonna be pretty stinky at this point. Martha's trying to talk Jesus, some sense into Jesus. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Jesus, his purposes, his intentions were revealed. I was, I'm seeking a people that will actually take me at my word and therefore see my glory, to see my beauty. There's been this uh, biblical purpose of the church resonating in my heart of the last no- number of months, which is the glory of God. The glory of God in the church. And if you struggle with that word glory, just replace it with the word beauty at any point uh, because I, I don't want that word to fly over our heads and free to miss it. The, purpose, the purposes of the Lord for the church are his beauty being revealed. Are his, the purpose is that his glory would be revealed in our midst. That we would see him for who he is and therefore that the world would see him for who he is. That all the, the misconceptions, misunderstandings, uh, confusion surrounding Christianity, the Bible, this man Jesus would be pierced through because of himself being made known amongst the people. And so Jesus, even in this really mysterious way of working in the story of John 11, reveals his heart. My heart was that my glory would be seen in your midst. And he says that prior as well, just a few, uh, a few verses earlier. So this morning, I want to talk to you about the Lord preparing us for his glory. So the title of my message is Restoring the Glory. The Lord's purpose for his church is that his glory would be in our midst, but there is a preparation that the Lord needs to bring about for his glory to be seen in our midst, for his beauty to be seen in our midst. And, and this is not to say that there, are, there haven't been glimpses of his beauty that we've um, captured over the last number of years. There, there have been, but I'm just saying there's more. There, there's more. Um, as Bob was, uh, Bob Gladstone was with us last weekend, and if you missed last weekend, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, that's all I can say is I'm sorry. But the messages were online, and I would just encourage you to go back and, and listen to them. Uh, he's one of those guys, we asked him to speak for both services in the morning, and he ended up, he ended up preaching two different messages. So we kind of got um, double dose on Sunday morning. You can go on our podcast and listen to both services Sunday morning. And then he also spoke Sunday night. And it was just phenomenal. It was like 
the Lord really deposited something into our church um, about the Lord's purposes for us. But he spent time with us Monday afternoon and he prayed a prayer that I've just taken all week long. He prayed a long prayer, but part of the prayer that he prayed for us is that the people here in Ames, that the, the church here in Ames would be a bush and a bush that burns. That's what he prayed for us. That we would be an ordinary people, but that burn brightly because of the extraordinary power of God in our midst. That's what, that's what I desire. And that is really the, the purposes of the Lord for the church. The problem with much of the church that we all think about and see is it's so much about the people standing up here and the personalities and the flashy stuff of, of man. But the Lord's purposes for the church is that everything, the, the, the things that, the material things that make it up would be really ordinary so that his brilliance and his beauty would shine all the more and that he would truly get the glory. That's his purposes for the church. So I, I've taken that prayer. And Lord, I say, Lord, may we be a bush that burns. And we may burn the love for Jesus and that the, the world would like scratch their heads at us. Like I've never seen Jesus so clearly amongst such an ordinary people. And all the more here in Ames, Iowa, where you can maybe think you're, well, this is just ordinary, plain Midwest Iowa. All the more, I believe the Lord is attracted to moving in these, in these places. But look at just a, a few verses to the next page. Uh, John chapter 12, Jesus presses into this principle, again, of, of his glory being his purpose for the church, for, his, for this Jesus people. As, there, as there's uh, hard-heartedness and unbelief in some that are seeing his miracles and receiving his teaching. And so John just gives his commentary on what's happening. John, obviously inspired by Holy Spirit, in verse 41, it says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him, speaking about this hardening of hearts and unbelief in specifically like the religious ones. But verse 42, he says, nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, like the religious authorities, they believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they, they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory of God, or the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They, they came to a crossroads as they caught glimpses of the beauty of Jesus. And it's like, am I going to bow my knee to what people think and the praises and affirmation of people around me? Or am I gonna give myself fully to this beautiful one that I just saw. In this case, you know, he'll literally you know, bring a man uh, back from the dead. And many of them made the choice to, to bow their knee to the praises of people. And I oftentimes think that's what's happening in the church and has been happening in the church, uh, specifically in the last 100 and some years. So I just say, Lord, have mercy on us. Come move in our midst tenderize our hearts to the things that are on your heart so that we become a people fully consecrated and surrendered to you. So the Lord has a way of working where he wants to display his glory in our midst, but he needs to prepare us. He needs to ready us. And this is actually his mercy. This is not the Lord's cruelty. It's his mercy that he wait and that he prepare us for his presence being made, uh, made known, manifested, displayed in our midst. It is actually his mercy in two ways. 
One is because if our hearts aren't ready, well, what happened here in John 12 will happen to us. We'll harden our hearts in unbelief. We won't be able to receive it rightly. There is like a, a stirring up, a tilling up of this fallow ground that the Lord needs to do in order for us to receive rightly what he wants to do. So it's his mercy that he gives us time to prepare the ground of our heart. Second, it's his mercy because the, the glory of God can actually be a very dangerous thing. A very dangerous thing. A lot is revealed in the presence of God. And if people aren't ready, it can be a dangerous thing. We see that in Acts 5, Ananias and Sapphira. You can pray for the glory of God, but there's like a, a raising of the standard that's also required and it can be a dangerous thing. It's like, it's like putting a kid, any one of my kids, behind the wheel of a car and saying, okay, go ha have at it. It's like they're not ready for the power yet. They're not ready for the responsibility that comes with steering and handling this machine of such great power, right? Even if it's a Prius or something with very little power, they're still not ready. It's like all, and there's different gradations of the Lord's glory and his power. And for even for us to handle a Prius level outpouring of the Lord's glory, like we need... A, a deepening of our maturity. And, and Bob, last week, he talked about that, about the inner work. We can pray all day long for the presence of God and the power of God, but we also need to be praying for the Lord to do an inner work deep in the recesses of our heart that the root system would be made strong for us to actually be able to steward what the Lord wants to do in our midst. Amen? Okay, so the Lord wants to restore his glory, but he needs to prepare a people. And so I'm gonna very quickly share, share a few ways in which the Lord needs to prepare us, amen? You guys ready? Okay, first is this, it's unity. There is a principle of the Lord's glory being displayed in our midst, being connected with the, the oneness or unity in a community of people, of a, of a group of people being knit together. They're tied, they're tied together in his, in his mind, mind's eye and his heart. Turn in your Bibles just a few pages to the right to John 17, as we see Jesus praying to the Father. This is such a precious passage of scripture because it's the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. But his heart for us as he's praying for us is revealed. And again, the purposes of God for us to be a people uh, whom, in whom you know, host his presence is revealed, but but also his heart for us to be unified is here. Verse 22, it says, the glory that you've given me, I have given to them. That's his prayer for us. That glory, that, that beauty that he displayed on the earth, that that would also then be given to his church, to his disciples. He, right now he's praying for those that would come after the apostles and his disciples. That's us. That's his prayer for us. But I want them to be Filled, Father, I want them to be filled with the glory that you gave me. That they may be one as we are one. So they're tied, they're, they're, they're connected together. That they would be one. It's like they're, they're, the oneness and the glory are both descending in unison together. I and them and you and me, that mystery of the gospel, of the, the Lord actually coming to live inside of us, 
that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. So that's how the world's gonna, gonna see God for who he is, is a unity in the church that displays his beauty and his oneness with the Father, the Son and the Father, and obviously the Spirit, the whole trifecta. But unity is tied to this, is connected to this display of the glory of the Lord. Now let me be clear, I know there's a lot of uh, confusion about the word unity. unity. Unity can be thrown around a lot and some people hear it as like this vague passivity. We're just not gonna talk about anything of substance because we're going for unity. Let's all just say unity as many times as possible and maybe we'll be unified. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about a unity that, that can be at times offensive to some because it's so simply locked in with the only one that matters, which is Jesus Christ. And so we, it's not that we're completely avoiding offense. It's that we're choosing to be offensive only about the things that matter. The cross is gonna be offensive. Jesus being the only way to the Father, that's gonna be offensive. And those are gonna be the things that unify us. But everything else is, is gonna be inconsequential in this community. So there will be differences of, of opinions about all these things that are not consequential to that end, to that purpose which is Christ crucified, being glorified in our midst. So I, you know, throughout COVID, we made it very clear. We were not gonna be an anti-mass church or a mass church. We're gonna be a Jesus church. I mean, the, the last two years have been chock full of bait for the church to, to go for in terms of divisive, controversial, inconsequential debates, controversies. And so it's not that we avoided offense. No, we, you can offend people by just saying, you know, we're not going to buy into the, the debate and the controversy. We're not going to take the bait. We're going to be a Jesus people. Let people make their decisions and come to their own convictions about how to navigate a pandemic. And that offends some. But that's, that's the way we're going to err, is err in this unity fixed on Jesus as our head, and so methods and ways of, of managing things will come and go, but Jesus is going to be the center of it all. He's going to be our focus. Second is this is, oh, sorry, I mean, I should mention this. There, there is a biblical precedent of him unifying a people and his presence being displayed in, in, in their midst. In the book of Acts, the early church is kind of a case in point of that. Acts chapter one, he gives them the promise uh, his spirit, the spirit is going to be poured out on them. Wait for the promise of the father. Go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the father. You're going to be my witnesses, but don't go. Don't go until you've received the promise of the father. So they go and wait and they wait and they wait. They don't even know what they're waiting for. They're just waiting for this, this power from on high. And, and then Acts chapter two, verse one says, they were all together in one place. And the New King James says, they were all with one accord in one place. There was this oneness that began to rest upon them, this, the, these early believers. And at some point, in the Lord's sovereignty and his, his wisdom, he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter, Acts chapter two. So unity is needed in this hour as the household of faith. Secondly, is this is purity. Second thing the Lord is preparing in us is a, is a level of purity. 
That yes, we define what we're building. We're building a place where the presence of God can dwell, but how we go about building that is also important. The Lord wants to remove from us all the ego and pride and jockeying for position and and clinging to non-essentials and all that clutter. For that to be removed, that's what purifying is, right? It's removing uh, all the stuff that doesn't matter. So it's just Jesus. And so you can kind of equate this preparation of purity to be also a season of repentance, which is the life of a follower of Jesus. The Lord is calling us to be so tender to the the convicting power of his word. His his word in Hebrews chapter four, you know, is said to be like a two-edged sword. Do we eagerly place ourselves before the word and say, okay, Lord, cut me to the heart. Come on, let me have it. Like this tenderness and openness and eagerness for the Lord to, to peer into our hearts and convict us of righteousness, not condemn us, but convict us of the right standing for, for, before the Father that calls us to a higher level. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. So being a people that the Lord is preparing in purity is not, is not a journey of endless introspection. That's really depressing, right? I mean, if we're introspective all day, we can be really depressed. But uh, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a tender responsiveness before the Lord. As the Lord's revealing things to us, we're saying, okay, Lord, yes. Yeah, I'm so, we're quick. We're quick to repent, quick to confess. That's what the Lord's looking for. A people that are, are longing to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, transformed from glory to glory. So I do envision a church that's more about the purity of the gospel and its inexhaustible nature than anything else. I'm, I'm envisioning a church where the purity of the cross and the cross-centered life is at the center of who they are as a people. I do envision a church that's innocent, undefiled by the world. I do envision a church that carries the purity of family, both spiritually and relationally. So not just theologically, but then practically, as we live out life, we're living it as family. And I do envision a church that's more about the presence of God than our programs. <laughs> and when a program doesn't serve that end, we, we kill it. We're like, okay, it's done. <laughs> that's purity. So let us keep a tender heart before the Lord. Let's, let us be responsive to the Lord as he leads us. When he challenges our view on things, when he cuts to our heart, let us repent and turn towards him. Jesus has designed his church to be simple. I think that's always the, the, the common thread we read that pops out to us as we read the book of Acts. We're like, wow, it was so simple. There was such a, a purity to it that's so attractive to the human heart and to our soul, especially the redeemed heart. But we look at him and him alone and from that be, place of being in love with him, fascinated with him, we, we turn the world upside down. We influence the world around us by pointing people to Jesus, the one we love. So unity, purity, thirdly is this, prayer. This is the biblical order of things. The Lord sets a people to pray. The Lord begins to stir a people. There becomes this common thread in a community of people where they're all being stirred to begin to cry out to the Lord, to seek him, 
which I will just tell you openly right now, I'm not talking about just prayer meetings. I know when, it, when Pastor Drew talks about prayer, he must be talking about just prayer meetings, but I'm talking about more than prayer meetings. I'm talking about a people who begin to be disturbed by what they read and what they see. They read something here and it like doesn't match up with the world around them and the reality of community life and the city of Ames and their community. And they're like, oh Lord, there's more. <laughs> Every time that happens, that holy discontent rises up in our hearts, an invitation to prayer. And we say, oh God, in my day, in my generation, may I see you move like this, that a people would begin to be disturbed by those disconnects, by what we read in scripture and then what we see with our eyes. It's a holy discontent. And the Lord wants to restore that in the church before he restores the fullness of his beauty and his glory in our midst. That's the biblical pattern of, of him moving in, amongst the people. The, all the Old Testament reformations or revivals were marked by people that began to humble themselves and pray. The central elements of prayer are relationship, First and foremost, so I'm not talking about legalism or some regimen or obligation. I'm talking about people in relationship with God actually beginning to respond to him in relationship. John 17, verse three, that this would now be your uh, eternal destiny. This is how you understand what he redeemed you for. John 17, verse three, that says, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. This is Jesus praying to, his, praying to the Father. This is eternal life, that they might know you, God. My Father, that, that's why I'm going to give my life, that they might actually know you and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So prayer begins to, to be seen through that lens of relationship, humility. So these are all the central elements of prayer. Relationship, humility, if my people who are called by my, my, called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face. That's the, the, the essence of prayer, that humbling of a people. Thirdly is faith. We must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That is the way of the kingdom. And fourth, response. That prayer doesn't become an escape from the world, but there's always a call to action that the Lord is, is bringing upon a people. And we see that in the, the mighty prayer meeting in Acts chapter four. That as, the, as they cried out to the Lord, as he moved in their midst, they were quick to respond and go and preach the word boldly. So prayer is a work the Lord is doing and I think you've, I hope that you're catching that this has been the undergirding of everything the Lord has been doing in our church family over the last three or four years. And I have no problem saying that. There are no other methods or other um, ways that I'll ever point to other than a people humbling themselves to pray and seek the Lord. I remember my first January as pastor, um, we called a week of prayer and no one came. So it was just me and my, me and my family <laughs> and we were a little uh, discouraged. And that's not, a, that's not an indictment upon anybody in, in this church that was here then, but um, it was just kind of a, a marker of kind of an apathy we were, we were all in, where the Lord was needing to bring us back to the first things. Like if we can't find our um, contentment and success 
in his presence, sitting at his feet, then it will always be looking for something else. There's always going to be something, other little uh, fleeting thing that's going to be trying to vie for our attention. But the people of God actually humbling themselves to seek his face in prayer. And uh, so then that October was when the Lord, so that was January 2018, October 2018 is when the Lord um, gave me that idea of writing the book, Discovering the Power of Prayer. So it was October, and within two months, I wrote the book and, and handed it out in December. And I think be, people began to realize, oh, this is, Drew's not gonna be just a pastor that talks about prayer. Like, he's serious. Like, he really wants us to, to get this, to understand that prayer is gonna be central to our community life. And, and then that January, 100 people showed up, you know, and be, something began to, to stir in people's hearts. And, and we began to work through the, the awkwardnesses of, of corporate prayer and, and how we pray. And we started to die to the, the pressures of, of eloquency. Like we have to have the, the perfect words all combined to all the religious stuff, you know? And, and people began to, in community, let this groan from their heart and this cry from their heart come out to the Lord and it becomes sweet incense and the Lord moves and it's beautiful. Amen? I was, I'm in a bunch of pastors groups, a number of pastors groups, and I remember one pastors group recently, we were talking about something the Lord was doing, and I was sharing a testimony about prayer, and one of the pastors said that he doesn't have time to pray. He said, I don't have time for prayer, which this isn't uh, an indictment against him, because I've, I've said similar things, but the reason I say that this morning is because if we don't have time for prayer, then we're doing something wrong. Like on a personal level, if we, if we don't have time for a simple relationship with the Lord, we're doing life wrong. And on a corporate level, community life level, if we don't have time for prayer, like let everything else die. Let's first figure this out. Let's fir- first figure out how to lock arms together in praying for God's heart in our midst and in our city. We don't have time not to pray. I mean, the time is too late and it's too important right now for us to, to not be a people that are praying. That's personally and corporately. Jesus, I believe, is saying, watch and pray. I'm gonna call the the worship team forward. Jesus is saying, watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So it's like what we all feel. Like we have that, sometimes we have a motivation. Okay, I I wanna pray, Lord. I want to seek you. And then the flesh overtakes us. He says, the, the flesh is so weak, but our spirit is willing. So he calls us to action. He says, watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. I just pray that we won't be a sleeping church, that we'll be a people attentive to the Lord, seeking his face. Amen? Say unity, purity, prayer. The last preparation, work of preparation the Lord wants to do in our midst is worship. He wants to stir people to worship, to, to gaze at him, to look at him, that he would be enough. Say so it would make, it'd make total sense that if his purposes for the church is for his glory to be preeminent, to be the focus, to be the center of it all, that worship would be part of it because that means like we're really infatuated with him. Like we're actually fascinated by him. And that for us to still our hearts and to look at him, to be fascinated by the cross, by his virgin birth, by his perfect life, by the cross, by the resurrection, by his infilling spirit, that we'd be fascinated by those things. And that our hearts would come alive to who he's created us to be in that place of worship. 
If you'd all stand to your feet, I want us to respond to the Lord. I know I'm kind of cutting it short, but my message, but the Lord is looking for worshipers and he said it. 2,000 years ago, he said, the hour is coming, and in fact, it's here now. And the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And I thank God for this generation in which we live, which we get to worship through music. Amen. I mean, I just love me Like, my heart comes alive with music, and I love it. Uh, it's honestly how some of my first encounters with the Lord as a middle schooler was me picking up a guitar in my bedroom, no one else around, just me expressing my heart to the Lord and the Lord coming into my bedroom and moving in a, in a mighty way. So I thank God for music, but worship is more than music. Worship is a lifestyle and the Lord is calling for a people that will be worshipers in spirit and in truth so that his glory is seen so that we catch a glimpse of his glory and that becomes our focal point and he becomes glorified in our midst. If you'd all close your eyes, bow your heads in this place. I want us to respond to the Lord. I know I feel like I'm ending abruptly, but that's just the way it is. November 21st, we won't have uh, time constraints. So. Um, the Lord's purpose for us is, the, is this, that his beauty would be seen Ames is in need of that. Our region is in need of his beauty to be made known, to be made on display, made manifest. And so the Lord is looking for a people that will be submitted and surrendered to that end. So I want us to respond just with a prayer of Lord. We want to be ready. We want you to unify our hearts. That there would be a clarifying of our purpose solely fixed on you. And Lord, there would be a purifying in our hearts, a tenderizing in our hearts, that there would be a stirring of deeper prayer, deeper prayer. And Lord, the worshipers would rise up, those that worship in spirit and truth. Before we respond, though, I do want to give an opportunity for anybody in this place to, to get their lives right with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you need to surrender your life to Christ, you need to get your life right with the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. This is your opportunity to start anew, to be born again, to be made a new creation in Christ as you surrender your life to him and look to him as your sufficiency. So if that's you, would you raise your hand? I wanna know who I'm praying for. Is there anybody in this place this morning? There was one individual first service and I praise God for every single lost sheep that comes home in this house. Is there anybody in this place this morning that wants to surrender their life to Christ? Okay, awesome. I didn't see any hands, which is fine. Lord, I'm praying for the day when we are able to boldly in faith say that today is the day of salvation in this city, in this region. And we have people coming to know you, just as the, like the New Testament church read, day by day, those who are being saved. Day by day, like people encountering the goodness, the good, goodness of Jesus Christ, surrendering their lives to him. And I thank you for the individual that surrendered their life to you, first service, God. Thank you, Jesus. 
Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to get right with you, I pray that they turn their hearts fully to you. That I don't stand as a mediator between you and them, but I'm just a sign pose pointing them to their reason for being and their savior. I pray they'd surrender their lives fully to you. They come to the end of, of themselves, realizing they can't clean their lives up, that you are the only answer, the perfect lamb of God. So could we just raise our hands across this place? I want us to respond corporately to the Lord. Lord, do in us what only you can do by your presence, by your spirit. Make us ready, prepare us, King Jesus. In these days to come, I pray for a unifying work centered around the cross, centered around the sufficiency of Jesus, the purity of the gospel. I pray for those in this house that need to forgive somebody, they'd do it quickly. Those who are holding a root of bitterness, that they would release it quickly. For those that are hung up on secondary issues, Lord, they'd throw them at the cross. Lord, I pray for a purifying work in our hearts. Those that have let the stirrings of unbelief and hard-heartedness take root, Lord, that they'd turn from that, they'd repent of that and turn to you fully, do a tenderizing work in our hearts. Lord, for prayer to arise, not necessarily from our prayer meetings, but for people to begin to respond to you in their living rooms and in their bedrooms and as married couples, as families, that when that holy angst and holy discontent rises up, that we would respond with a heart of prayer to seek your face, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the worship, the worship to arise in this house like never before. I pray for a release of anointing upon our worship leaders. Lord, for more songs from their heart to come, the sweet incense to you, Jesus. That Lord, beyond musical ability or instrumental ability in this house, everybody would see themselves as, as worshipers, desiring to worship in spirit and in truth, Lord. We say yes to you, King Jesus, in your mighty name. Let's give the Lord a huge hand in this place. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.